Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. If you would please follow in the reading of God's word. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, whom made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. Father, help us to understand the unity that we possess just because we are Christians. And that, Father, regardless of our race, our gender, our societal upbringing, our education, or our places in our society, we are one in Christ. Father, um, such a dilemma even at the birth of the church And yet, Father, 2,000 years out, we still struggle with this. Help us to hear this, Lord, as the illustration is Israel and Gentiles. And, Father, help us to understand your power and your purpose that you accomplished at Calvary. To you, my Lord and Savior, in Christ's name, amen. This division that Paul lays out as the foundation between Jew and Gentile still exists. I can go back through history, and I can show you the Egyptians, I can show you the Arabs, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Hitler and Stalin, and all Gentiles, and they all hate the Jews. And it has always been that way. The Gentiles look at Jews as a race of slaves. I grew up back uh, in southern Ohio, And we had some very well-to-do Jewish families in different industries. And you know all of the jokes. And it hasn't gone away. I remember Pilate, when was speaking at the ruling on Jesus, his contempt for the Jews and the fact that he had been put down there to oversee these people. And his quote was, I surely am not a Jew, am I? 
unquote. If you remember the owner of the Philippian slave girl who could uh, had a demon in her who could project the future, Paul and Silas cast that demon out. And the guys who owned the slave girl all of a sudden <laughs> took it in the purse. <laughs> and their comments before the magistrate was, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Unquote. That is the contempt and the mocking of the Jewish people. There was a, a deep hatred. A deep hatred of the Gentiles to the Jews. But there was a deep hatred of the Jews to the Gentiles. You see it in the early church. It's even, uh, even when I think about Christ's unity, that the Jew and the Gentile are one, that slave and free are one, that male and female are one in Christ. There is still, even today, in the body of Christ, dissension between it. It is amazing to me to see and to know what the Scripture tells me. Listen, the unity that is in Christ is absolutely true and non-divisible before God. But it is not that easy practically. I have had uh, people get mad at me because I have a beard. I have people got mad at me. My wallet sticks out of the top of my back pocket and they got mad about that. I ride a motorcycle without a helmet. They get mad about that. Just go down and they profess Christ. They seem very normal. But all of a sudden they get a burr in their saddle and they think it's my fault. It is not easy practically to be united. A man must consider others more important than himself. I bet you everyone in here struggles with that at a time or two. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. He deals with this belief and this teaching that you must become a Jew first to enter into the new covenant. We call it Judaizers. And what they were doing is taking foundational Judaism and adding Christ to it. So if you wanted to be a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. If you look at the temple set up, you had the Holy of Holies, you have the court of the Jews, and then you have the court of the Gentiles. And then outside of that was the court of the women. You must be Jewish to be a Christian Judaism was step one. Salvation was step two. Paul wrote Galatians and says, Gentiles, you can bypass step one. Not only that, he says, do not listen to those fools. Any other gospel, you are accursed. Even... If an angel from heaven teaches something different. Christ is all that is needed. Chapter 5 verse 4 of Galatians. He says, do not be entangled with the yoke 
of bondage. Okay? Christ has made us free. But this animosity was so massive. I shared with you a week ago in Acts chapter 15, a thing called the Jerusalem Council. They seen great numbers of Gentiles coming to salvation. And they were wondering what they should do. And so the apostles and the elders of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem are dealing with, do you have to become a Jew to be a Christian? The council concluded, no. But they said, do not lay any burdens on the Gentiles. Okay? Because it's all in Christ. But Gentiles do not harm or offend the Jews. Okay? And what he meant is some of their dietary laws. Don't force it. If you just went down and bought a really nice cut of beef from the pagan temple, don't tell the Jew. Just eat it. I uh, had a fun time years ago. I was at a conference in Memphis. Uh, it was a blast. We had a Dutch reform guy there. Guy was a great musician. I mean, just outstanding. But Dutch Reform is out of South Africa. They, got, they carry a lot of Judaism. One is, you don't do nothing on the Sabbath. Not even eat, you don't drink, you don't lift nothing, you don't do anything on the Sabbath. Well, I'm in Memphis. And I'm down there with a bunch of Southerners. And you ain't telling us, don't eat on the Sabbath. Okay? I mean, every other block in Memphis is either a chop house or a barbecue place or, you know, whatever. And you ain't going to tell us. So we were all having a good time. And so we said, well, we're going to go. There was a chop house right across the street from where we were staying. I said, we'll go to that chop house. And everybody said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I even looked at it and he says, well, I can't eat. And the guy that I was with, Wayne, he looks at him and he says, then sit there and look at us. <laughs> And you're like, all right. And so he went with us. And I tell you what, I had one of the best pork chops I ever had in my life. That thing was about that big around and about that thick. And you could look at it and it would slice. I mean, it, it, it was amazing. And I tell you what, yeah, I was praising the Lord the whole time thinking, man, you, you got a cut of meat here that's good. And you could just see him dying. And then I ran across this one here. It says, do not hard the Jew. And then I make... Peace with God on it, saying, but Lord, he wasn't Jewish. He was South African. <laughs> so, so I didn't hurt the Jew. <laughs> but there should not be a burden added. See, for a Gentile, faith from the heart is all that is needed. You don't have to go get circumcised. You don't have to do any of that stuff. In Romans 14, the Apostle Paul is still dealing with this problem. And, and you have to understand that the church in Rome would have been crazy mixed. Okay? And you, you know that, that, that the church in Rome would have these potlucks. All right? And so you've got Gentile and Jew by large numbers in Rome. And so we go to the potluck and someone just throws out a big old ham. Okay? That's going to be tough for a Jew. That's going to be tough. Apostle Peter struggled with it. And he even had a vision. 
give thanks and eat. And Peter's like, well, all right. And then he had to go down and witness to a Gentile in Joppa. And you're not supposed to go into a Gentile's home. And yet he was called to do it. So that other white meat could show up in Rome. Truth of the matter is, when... When you see this interaction happen, it grows animosity. And that animosity is going to give birth to a root of bitterness. All right? I know this well. Listen, this disunity is going to be based on the fact that the Jews resent the Gentiles' freedom. Okay, next, I want to explain this to you because I had to deal with this when I first came to salvation. Legalists think that they are the spiritual ones. And you need to work your tail off to get to where they're at. Okay? This becomes a very serious spiritual problem. And I've seen it do more damage in the church than probably any one thing. The early Jews wanted to keep the Sabbath. Well, there's an issue with that. Jesus is called the Lord of the Sabbath. You enter into Him, you have entered into a Sabbath rest. Okay? When I see people anxious or fearful or worried, I know that they have not understood the Lord of the Sabbath because he is divinely empowering rest. But see, the Jews had it in their mind that you take this day and you set it aside as unto the Lord. The truth of the matter is, every day's his. Every day's his. People who come from religious backgrounds have a hard time making that break. The traditions and the rituals. I know a pastor here in town who does, he does all kinds of strange things. I, I mean, he has to do the water, wash his fingers before he goes up and preaches. He's got a pair shawl on. He it just does, he does incense and all the rest. This guy's not Catholic. And yet he does all this. And, he, and I said, well, why do you do that? And he says, because it helps me stay pure. And I was like, well, that never worked for the Jews. How will it work? But it, he says, it keeps my life so organized that I do dun, 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 and I'm good. And I told him, I said, you know what? I'll pray for you. And it kind of made him mad, but oh, well. Listen. I see this today. I can't make the break from the system. I've had people who come and visited this and see them come up. And I like it when they do this in your face. That's just, that thrills me. It just is so spiritual. I just like, man, I wish one of these days I could do that. You can't be Baptist. Why not? We got a baptistry. You didn't have an altar call. Oh. Sorry. Now, I knew a guy down in Phoenix. He could get an altar call out of any text. I didn't care what the text was. Jesus wept and he'll get an altar call out of it. 
But I don't challenge the people. Listen, if I'm preaching in the power of the Spirit, guess what? You're already challenged. I don't have to make you do anything. The Holy Spirit is already doing it. But when you are in a work system, that's what religious people are in. When you are in a work system, it becomes very difficult to break the traditions and the rituals. And it's a problem. In Colossians, Paul deals with this. Don't make people put, you know, I'm hearing from angels or the Sabbath or festivals or any of these other things on you. And what it does when people start loading this stuff up, it makes bitterness. I've seen this many, 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 many times. Let me give you a great illustration. I was not raised in the church. Okay? I The only exposure to the scriptures that I had was I had a little card with my dad's obituary on it. And on the back of it was the 23rd Psalms. That was my understanding of scripture. Okay? I wasn't raised in the church. Well, when I came to salvation... I didn't know nothing. And I was, I, I shared this, I was released from public housing. And I went and found a church that says, I got to be baptized. Well, we got it. No, 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 you don't understand. I don't know nothing, but I know I need to be baptized. And I need to be baptized today because I don't know if I get tomorrow. And he baptized me. All right. But not being raised in the church... I did not come into Christianity with a boatload of rules and regulations. When I needed to know what the church was doing, I had this amazing thought. I'll go and look and see what the Bible says. Instead of what the tradition of man is. But you know what? That caused me a lot of problems. It used to bother me that I wasn't raised in the church. But I remember talking to a man who's amazing. And he says, you know what? He was, he's third generation preacher. And he says, I envy you looking at me. And I'm like, really? And he says, too many people carry their traditions in a higher form than they carry the word of God. And that's where the disunity and the bitterness come from. I mean, if people say, well, you seem like you're playing loose with the scriptures. You'll never find me playing loose with the scriptures. You'll see that I pay very little attention to sacraments and rituals and ceremonies and festivals. I, I don't care. I like the 4th of July because it's usually a barbecue but I'm not sure there's a biblical precedence for it. See, what happens is that when you have legalists and people who understand free grace, each one thinks they're right. Okay? And that makes them unequal because Christ is right. What does he say? I, I love history. You guys know that. One of my favorite sections of history is the Civil War. Okay. And I have studied the Civil War from the political side, from the media side, 
and from the everyday guys that were out there. There was more Americans killed in the Civil War than any war we've ever been in. Uh, over half a million. Okay? And the reason was it was American against American. But one of the things that people don't pay attention to is you listen to what they say about slave owners and they're the most evil people that ever lived on the planet. Okay? That's not true. Most slave owners felt it necessary to teach their slaves how to read English. Guess what book they used? The Bible. But what happens is they would share with their slaves the scriptures. They would come to salvation, but because they were slaves, they were not allowed to go to church. So if you go into the south, into black churches, I've done this a few times, you will find that they have an amazing enthusiasm. I mean, you can have people that's been saved for 50 years and they act like they have just been saved. But you will listen to them and you realize they have very little understanding. Because generationally, they were not allowed to go into church. I have a friend who's a pastor in Syracuse, New York. Big congregation, big hoity-toity church. It was built like in the like early 1800s. I mean, what is this big mammoth thing? And I mean, it's got balconies in it and all this other stuff. I mean, it's, it's impressive. And we were sitting there talking one time. And he's, he says, uh, he said, uh, his church constitution still says that blacks can worship at this time. And whites can worship at this time. Now, this is New York. Remember? North, south. Okay. They could come in and worship, but they could not worship with white people. And I said, well, that's crazy. You know why it's crazy? He's black. And I said, well, why don't you change that? And he says, I think it's great. (laughs) He says, I was thinking about having it blowed up and put out on the wall. (laughs) Okay. Because what happens is we get these things in our heads. And, you know, I look at it and they're trying to teach these black people how to read. But then they realize, okay, they're coming to salvation, but they can't come to church. Because they're slaves. All right. And that's why if you go down in the south these days, you'll find it's still pretty segregated in a lot of churches. Not all. But in a lot of churches because... They were raised that it's the emotion and the singing and all of this. And this is what we do. And because they weren't allowed to get into the foundational truths that the church gives. So they don't have, in some cases, what I call the fullness of Christ. So this has been going on generationally. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I'll show you how well this has been going on. But when Cephas, you know who Cephas is? Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, okay, you know where Antioch is? That's the heart of Gentiles. Went to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, you know who James is? First pastor of the first church. Okay? Jesus' brother, half-brother. 
He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. You know what that means? Peter confronted him. Now, I got a question I'm going to ask you guys. If we are all equal in God's eyes, why are we not equal in the eyes of each other? How does that work? That's what Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through the end is dealing with. 11 and 12 specifically. See, if you go back to your text in Ephesians 2, verse 11, he says this. Therefore, remember, okay, remember what he just came out of, the doctrine of sin. Okay, you had to understand salvation. Salvation was the first 10 verses. All right, therefore, remember, therefore, remember, we see in this verse an alienation. Okay, in verse 11, you see an alienation that is social, what I call temporal. In verse 12, I see an alienation that is spiritual. Okay, he's reminding the Gentiles in Ephesus. Where did you start out from? You were alienated and yet you became united in Christ. Because you know what? If I had a Jew that was hanging out with me and he was partying with me and eating my ham with me and all this other stuff with me and we were sharing breaking bread together and sharing the gospel together, and then Jews showed up and he moved away from me, I would probably feel a little animosity. Okay? We need to understand this because it exists today. It may exist right here in this room. We need to get this section. Remember John 17 last week, 2021? That they may be one, Father, as we are one. And that the world will know that you sent me. That unity should be touted and exposed to the world. Because let's be realistic. You do not have to be a news hound, news media guy to say, I don't think the world's united about anything. Okay? And so the church is supposed to be united. And look at it. It looks just like the world. We should be celebrating that unity that Christ has already positioned us in. But yet, you know what? We separate into classes. Well, I want a young people's church. Well, I want a singles church. I want an old people's church. See what we do? I, you know, I listen to these guys here in town. That, Our demographics is in their 30s. What do you do? Count them? Because they ask me what my demographic is. I say, I don't know. I don't count that well. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense to me. Listen, if you've got a bunch of young people in the church, you've got a young church. You've got to put some silver in it. That's wisdom. We separate into classes. It's, I really wish you guys could get this because it's not new. The, the letter James. Men with fine garments. 
gold rings, get the best seats, while those who don't get the leftover? That means it wasn't a Baptist church. Okay? You know how I know that? Baptist churches, everybody wants to sit on the back row. <laughs> so that's, it couldn't, couldn't have been. Couldn't have been. Everybody's going to move seats. <laughs> okay? Listen, God is not a respecter of persons. And he lays this out. Gentiles, you were alienated socially and spiritually in verse 12. Socially in verse 11. Okay? This social alienation is basically physically speaking. Look here in verse 11. Formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision. By the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. See, he starts out, you know what's cool about this? He starts out not dealing with the past state of our sins. He starts out by dealing, he's already dealt with sin in the first ten verses. Now he deals with who you are. Who you are. He starts describing the state of our alienation. See, there's something that people don't understand. And you'll get into trouble if you try to defend it. And yet that's what the Bible teaches. There's only one race of people ever in existence that's been promised land. One. And it ain't America. It's Israel. The Babylonians weren't promised a piece of real estate. The Persians weren't. The Turks aren't. The Lebanese ain't. The Saudis ain't. Egyptians ain't. North Africans ain't. Europeans ain't. And he says, you must remember, you've got to understand you have been alienated from the people of God. There's only one people of God. One people. Remember, you used to be alienated. Verse 12 tells us we were alienated spiritually. I'm going to deal with that next week because there's five things in there that you really need to look at. Listen, I want you to understand something. You who are truly saved today, okay, and I I want to use that qualifier, all right? It is really good for you to remember who you were. All right? Now listen, I don't want you to dwell on it. But I want you to remember who you were. You know why? That is a death blow to pride. How in the world can you be the scum of creation and boast? How do you have pride knowing where you came from? Do you remember what you were before you came to Christ? That's vitally important. Because you used to be a slave to sin. It was your master. And you used to tell yourself that I send my brains out. Look at the freedom I have. Then Christ set you free 
And all of a sudden you start understanding what true freedom really is. Now that this, I got news for you. This will cause religious people to have the veins stick out on their forehead. When I remember where I was, it makes me more thankful. I mean, you can have the worst. I've had a, 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 a bumpy stretch here for, well, since I got back from Central Asia. And you keep thinking, wow, man, this is, I'm having so much fun. I hope they make it illegal really quick. And yet, I can look at what I've been dealing with, and I am so thankful that I'm in the body. Listen, when you remember and are thankful for that, it will cross race, it will cross color, it will cross gender, it will cross anything else that the world throws at you to disunify. Okay? Paul says it's Easy to want to alienate a Jew. I, I told you about my run-in with the Jews in Moscow. Well, I was in JFK and then over to Moscow. Uh, very rude. Very, 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 very rude. I ran into it when I was in Israel in 04. The people that... I had a lot of interaction with the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. What a wonderful bunch of people. You, you, you're not going to believe it, but when they looked at me, they knew I was a Gentile. Okay, and then shortly after they asked me a question, they knew I was American. And it's really funny because they all want to have a picture taken with an American. And I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> so, and you know, it's just, it's just a strange place. I, 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 if you get a chance, go. But I'm going to warn you ahead of time, it's a strange place. This beautiful woman was sitting at the bus stop. I was catching the bus to go on the other side of the wailing wall. And there she stood, and she says, you're American. I said, yeah. She said, can I get a picture with you? So we get this guy to take a picture, and we take a picture. And I'm looking at this lady. She's got an M16 over her shoulder with a grenade launcher and a bandolier of 40-millimeter grenade launchers around her chest. And I'm saying, you just don't see that on the buses. And it's just, it's just, it's, you know, I don't know, that's just kind of weird stuff to me. And they're all just standing there like, yeah. I mean, this lady's got more ammunition on her than, than I have in my home. And you just sit there and go, wow, lady. <laughs> All right. So if something goes down, I'm getting right behind you. Because, <laughs> but, but you, I could see it. One Sabbath, I was walking in the old Jerusalem. I was headed over back to the, I, had a, I was going to meet with the rabbi for the Temple Mount Synagogue. And I was walking over there. Now, okay, it's on the Sabbath. Okay, on the Sabbath in Jerusalem, you're not allowed to drive. Okay, so everybody's walking. All right. I mean, in the streets, streets are packed. I mean, there's no cars. So they're just walking in the streets because sidewalks ain't that wide or anything like that. But when I go walking through there, believe it or not, I stand out and look like a Gentile. It's almost like I have this little flashing light. I am Gentile. And it was like parting the Red Sea. These people did not want to be touched by a Gentile on the Sabbath in case Messiah shows up. They would be unclean. But this was people like you would see in Times Squares on New Year's Eve. 
And yet I was walking and it was like, move. <laughs> it was, it was kind of cool. I just felt like sticking my arms out and doing one of these. <laughs> I'm coming in for a landing. We have to remember that we used to be alienated. When you think about being alienated from the nation of Israel, do you understand that you're alienated from God? If you're alienated from God, then you're alienated from his people. It's good to remember what we were. Okay. But I'll give you a little kind of a footnote on that. Throughout history, if you get secular writings and or biblical writings, all right, you will always see it described Jew and Gentile. Until Pentecost. You have Jew and Gentile and the Ecclesias. We translate that church. We have the Ecclesias. There is no Jew or Gentile in the church. I had some people who have come here before who liked the fact that I was explaining scripture and they were Jewish and they attended and, you know, we have uh, potluck on the third Sundays and all the rest of it. They attended for a while. The guy's some kind of computer. I don't know what he does. Um, he kept fixing my computer. But anyway, wonderful people. I mean, very sweet people. And so when they would start coming to the potluck, we made sure we had food that they could eat. Okay, because I didn't want to force the issue. And then I didn't see him for a while. And then one day I was working in my office and I heard this knock at the door and I go out and Larry stood. And he says, uh, I just want you to know something. He says, we love what you're doing. We listen to you online. It's totally awesome. You're right on. But we need to find a messianic congregation. We needed to find them. They had found a messianic congregation. And I looked at him for a second. And I get that goofy looking grin on my face. And I says, so why ain't we a messianic congregation? There's one Messiah for Jew and Gentile. Well, we need to be around our people. Oh. See, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Which brings me... Okay, now in the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. It's just in Christ. Absolute unity is already there. There's no identity. There's no distinction in Christ. But then I watch the Apostle Paul. I love this guy. Because the end of verse 11, he gives the Jews a shot across the bow. Look what he says. So-called circumcision. See what he said? You are derogatorily called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. And then he just blasts them, which is performed by the flesh, performed in the flesh by human hands. See, as far as other Jews were concerned, Gentiles were still outcast. Okay? Uncircumcision is a term of mockery. I'll show you here in a minute. It is... A reproach to a Jew. And basically, if you really think about it, it is nothing more than a surgical sign that was given to us in Genesis 17 to mark people as of God. Okay? 
But it was a term of derision. Right? I'll take you back a few years. 1 Samuel 17. (laughs) That's a few years, isn't it? Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? You know what he's talking about, right? Goliath. Okay? And he's saying, why would an uncircumcised Gentile stand there and taunt the nation of Israel and you guys are taking it? It was a put down to be called uncircumcised. Yet, there was great pride in circumcision. The external operation with no concern for the inside. This is man's perversion. Paul gives them that shot. And he says, this thing is done by the hands. It is done by the flesh. Let me show you another verse dealing with circumcision. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And he, his praise is not from men, but from God. People say, well, what does it mean to circumcise the heart? Remove the flesh from it. Turn it back in its spiritual entity. They're thinking that they were true people of God just because they had had a surgical procedure. But it's only external. How many in the body of Christ today have the external? I wear a cross. I've got some kind of fish bumper sticker or something like that. Some kind of quote on my bumper or something to that effect. And yet what is in the heart isn't there. Those with an outward sign with no inward reality. Those who have that legalism would mock the Gentiles. See, that is the way to see the social alienation. You were separated. And the Jews would look at it and say, I don't see any way they could ever enter into a relationship with God. They're clueless. But that's the social side of it. Next week, I'll look at the spiritual side of it and the five points that he gives us in verse 12. But if you get anything, please don't forget where you came from. I don't care if you were raised in the church. I don't care if you grew up in the church. I don't care if you went to Christian college or whatever. Listen, I know five guys who went to some of the most prestigious seminaries on the planet Earth and they all walked away from Christ. Okay, that doesn't mean nothing. All right, I know Dr. Olford and Dr. MacArthur, their best friends in college and seminary all became apostate. So it isn't getting a bunch of facts and understanding it. 
It is a matter of believing in the heart that God raising from the dead, seating him at the right hand of the Father, and that you are not your own, you have been bought and paid for with that price. And that only happens in the heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this group of brothers and sisters in Ephesus and the passion that the Apostle Paul had for them. Father, I ask, I beg you, that none of us walk out of here deceived today. Father, they understand that um, being inside of a church building does not make me a Christian. Now, Father, I pray that each of us would fall more and more in love with you with every breath you grace us until that day that our faith becomes sight. May we walk worthy. May we not get entangled. But yet, Father, I pray for every one of us that we understand the freedoms that we have in Jesus Christ. It still, to me, this day astonishes me. And yet, Father, so many don't know. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To your glory and praise. Amen.